Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Good morning. Good Sunday morning, in fact. It's the Lord's Day. What a wonderful day. And welcome to Golden Triangle Church on the Rock. You know, we are family. The church is the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. And it's the family of God in the earth. And at Church on the Rock, we are family. Well, for the word today, we're going to be going to Matthew chapter 14. And today's message is entitled, A Broken Record. You'll find out a little bit more about that broken record in just a moment. But suffice it to say that sometimes we must sound like a broken record to God. Can you imagine how many times God has heard the same thing over and over and over? Perhaps you also have said something similar to some of the things that people in history have said. Almost without exception, people throughout history have felt inadequate unable to accomplish what God has called them to do. Often the one thing that God needs them to do, they say, oh, I'm not able, or, or perhaps that's not the best thing, or, you know, I don't think it will work, or God, you know, perhaps, you know, you need to rethink this, you know, uh, don't ask me to do it. There have been all kinds of reasons. Do you remember Queen Esther, whenever she was asked to go before the king to bring, you know, uh, bring her people, uh, you know, uh, comfort and to keep them from being killed and destroyed? The first thing she said is, oh, no, I can't do that. You know, uh, I could get killed. You know, I mean, no, I can't do that. That's the first thing she said. And she was reminded that perhaps it was for that reason she came to the kingdom. Do you remember Gideon? Gideon was a man, whenever he was asked uh, to lead God's army, he said, you know, not me. I can't do this. I've never done anything like this. Even though the angel said, you are a mighty man of valor. Yet Gideon said, not me. He ended up having to get confirmation after confirmation uh, just to find, finally say, okay, I'll give it a shot. And of course, the Lord brought victory through him. Moses, Moses, the first thing that Moses said when God said that you're the man I'm going to send down into Egypt uh, to deliver my children from slavery, Moses said, not me. I can't do it. In fact, after all that he went through with that burning bush and hearing from God, Moses' final conclusion was, well, I'm no different today than I was the first day you spoke to me. I don't think I'm able. I can't even talk. And God said, okay, you know, yet he was chosen by God. How about those 10 spies? that Moses sent into the land. They came back. You remember what they said? We are grasshoppers in our own eyes. You know, I mean, very few people feel as though that they are capable, adequate to accomplish or even to attempt the one thing that God is asking them to do. Isaiah felt that way. Isaiah said, I can't do this. Isaiah 6, 5, I'm a man of unclean lips. You know, whoa, and, you know, Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. I'm immature. And, and God said in the first chapter of Jeremiah, do not say that you are a child. Before you were formed in the belly, I knew you. And before you came out of the womb, I had sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. <laughs> you know, uh, not only that, but even the great Elijah, the prophet Elijah. You know, here he is. He's just, you know, slain. 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of, of Asherah. And then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah takes off running. I'm the only one, God, and nobody else. You know, afraid. He felt inadequate. He felt unable to face even the enemies of God. 
Not only Elisha, but also Elisha. Elisha felt the same thing. And Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Jonah, the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17. You know, I don't have anything. You know, Elijah said, well, what do you have? Come on now, you can do this. What do you have? Give what you have to God. And, and well, it's not enough. It'll be enough. And then the widow in 2 Kings 4, whose sons were, you know, uh, uh, going to be taken as, as, as uh, you know, and put into prison to pay her debt. She said, I don't have anything. And Elisha says, come on, you have something. No, I don't have anything. I'm unable. I can't do this. He said, what do you have? She said, well, a little bit of oil in a jar. And he told her what to do with it. People have always felt inadequate. John the Baptist felt inadequate. Do you remember the John the Baptist? When Jesus came to be baptized by him, John the Baptist said, no, I'm, I'm not worthy. No, uh-uh, not me. I can't baptize you. And Jesus said, come on, John. Come on, this is the will of God. This is what you were made for. This is what you can do. And so John the Baptist, encouraged by Jesus, got out of his hole of inadequacy, out of that hole and out from behind that wall of I can't do this and, you know, I'm unable. And he went ahead and accomplished it so that the will of God could be done. You know, the apostle Peter at the judgment of Jesus, you know, it finally got to the place where Peter says, I don't even know that guy. I mean, I don't, he's talking crazy. I mean, I, I don't even know who he is. And the Bible says that Peter even cursed. He cussed. You ever wonder what Peter said? <laughs> I don't know, but it was pretty bad because as soon as he said whatever he said, they said, whoa, yeah, you're right. You haven't been with Jesus. You know, you're not one of his followers because his followers don't talk that way. And then the apostle Paul, feeling like I am the least of the apostle. I'm not worthy to be called. I mean, and, and yet he became what many, you know, exclaim later, perhaps was the most powerful of all the apostles. In fact, all the disciples for that matter, in almost everything that Jesus asked them, they felt inadequate. They felt unable, even not just up to his death, even after his death. They felt completely incapable of doing the one thing that God needed them to do. The one thing he had made them to do. In each moment, they would feel like, I can't do this. Not one of these people was right. Nothing could have been farther from the truth. Nothing. You know, they and we must often sound like a broken record to God. Well, our text for, for today comes from Matthew chapter 14. Let me set up our scripture reading. In Matthew chapter 14, this is a time when Jesus is experiencing a sad moment. John the Baptist has just had his head cut off by Herod. And Jesus is looking for a quiet place. And he goes to a hill that belongs to the town of Bethsaida, the Bible says. It's on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, right where the Jordan River empties into the Sea of Galilee. And there Jesus is, is trying to find a place where he can be alone. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's, he's no doubt troubled and he wants to pray. And he just, his, his friend, his cousin, you know, the forerunner, you know, the one crying in the wilderness had just fulfilled his ministry. And had been executed. 
Well, the disciples uh, were with him, but the multitude, they wanted to find Jesus. And finally somebody found him and they said, here he is. And so a whole multitude, we're told that 5,000 men besides the women and children came up to that hillside that day. And they all wanted to touch Jesus. And the, the, the scripture says that, that, that they sought to touch even the hem of his garment. You know, it wasn't just the little widow that touched the hem of his garment, this little woman with the issue of blood. But many on that day sought to touch the hem of his garment. And the Bible says, as many as touched him, they were healed. And then Jesus, he had compassion on them because it was late in the day. And he knew that all these thousands of people would not be able to, to find enough food, you know, hardly anywhere. And so Jesus said to the disciples, give them something to eat. And what was the disciples' first response? These 12 men said, we can't do that. How would we do that? I mean, do you see all these people? We could not even go into any town and buy enough food for all these people. You know, what are you, what are you asking, Jesus? You know, literally, they saw themselves unable, but they also imagined that Jesus was just, you know, he was thinking crazy. How could Jesus ask me to do something that it's evident to me that I can't do it, but it was evident to Jesus that they could. In fact, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John reading this account, you'll find in each one of these moments in the feeding of the 5,000 accounts that Jesus first asked the disciples to do it, and he ended up with them doing it. They only had to get him involved. You see, Jesus will do what only he can do, but we are called to do what he wants us to do. He started out, you feed the disciples, you know, excuse me, you feed the multitude. And he ended up taking the fish and loaves. He took five barley loaves, five poor man biscuits is what it was. Why do I say poor man biscuits? Because barley was one third the cost of wheat and barley was most often used. Uh, it was very coarse and, and uh, it was most often used as animal food. They, you know, they, they grew it for camels and they grew it you know, to feed their animals and, 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 and poor people would eat it because it was very coarse. And so these five barley loaves, five poor man biscuits and two small fish, John said. Two small fish, probably dried fish. Jesus took them and he blessed them and he broke them and he gave them to his disciples and his disciples gave them to the multitudes. You see, it was still the disciples doing something they never imagined they could do. And they ended up taking up 12 baskets filled with the leftovers of the barley loaves and the fish. What a miracle. What a a miracle. Well, after the feeding of the multitude, Jesus commanded his disciples to get into the boat and to go to the other side, uh, over to Gennesaret, over to the uh, Gadara. And, uh, and, and it's on the extreme eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. So from that point over, from Bethsaida over to the other side is only, you know, three miles, give or take a little bit. And so they leave and Jesus sends the multitude away. It's in early evening, you know, probably around six o'clock, 630 maybe. And Jesus goes up to a mountain and he prays. And Jesus prays up in that mountain until approximately two or three o'clock in the morning. 
And then Jesus comes down. Meanwhile, the disciples have obeyed Jesus. They've went and got into the boat, and they're trying to get to the other side. But the wind is contrary, and a storm comes up. And they have been uh, rowing and, and sailing and trying to do what Jesus said, but there was a storm. You know, sometimes whenever we're obeying the Lord and right in the middle of his will and doing everything that he asked, like he asked, storms can come up. Some things can arise against us and keep us, you know, uh, uh, working hard, trying to do what Jesus wants us to do. The Bible says in the fourth watch of the morning, along about three o'clock, most likely. Now, they had been rowing for hours, maybe, maybe even eight or nine hours, and they haven't gotten but maybe a mile or two. It's really rough. They're working hard and they're concerned. There's a storm, but they're trying to obey Jesus. Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And as Jesus is approaching them, he gets close to the boat and the wind and the waves and they see Jesus and they think Jesus is a ghost. And the disciples all of a sudden, they become afraid, and Jesus, close enough to the boat now, speaks to them and says, Do not be afraid. It's me. It's Jesus. And he's walking on that water. That had to be real impressive. And so the disciples, they're seeing and hearing Jesus. You know, he's walking on the water in the middle of the storm. And, and, and Peter says, Jesus, if that's really you, you know, ask me, you know, allow me, call me to come out and to meet you and to walk out to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. Come. The Bible records Peter getting out of that boat and walking out on that water, going to see Jesus. But Peter, as the story continues, and you're probably familiar with, somewhere along the way, he got his eyes off Jesus and he got his eyes on the storm. Ooh, now, listen now. This could be prophetic for you right now. It could be prophetic for your neighbor, your friend. This might be a good place for you to share, you know, and, 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 and you know, link and, and send, uh, you know, a text to a friend and say, you need to watch this because you might know someone that's got their eyes off of Jesus and got their eyes on the storm. You may know someone who is trying to do their best, trying to do what Jesus has called them to do, trying, you know, I mean, I mean, they're right in the middle of God's will, but yet they're in a storm and they may have been there for a long time and they may be getting tired. Can you imagine how tired you would get if you had been rowing and, and trying to sail and set the sails for nine hours that night? Wow. Well, Peter got his eyes off of Jesus and got his eyes onto the storm. And when Peter did that, the Bible says Peter began to sink. He began. Have you ever had that sinking feeling when all of a sudden you get your eyes off Jesus and you get your eyes on your checkbook? You get your eyes off of Jesus and you get your eyes on whatever that problem is at work or at school or that test. When you get your eyes off of Jesus and what he's told you to do. And, and, and the word that you know and the will that you're following and the way that you have embraced and, and, and all of a sudden you get your eyes onto a relationship that's not working or onto a, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a, a sickness that seems to have taken you know, precedent and all of a sudden you lose sight of Jesus. You lose sight of, of, of what made you know. You are already in the middle of a miracle. 
The storm was ongoing before Peter ever got out of the boat. He was already in the middle of a miracle walking to go to Jesus. But then he turned his attention to the wind and the waves and he began to sink. And beginning to sink, he cried out. In fact, let's read it. It, 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 it reads better than I can tell it. Matthew 14, verse 28. And Peter answered Jesus and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when Peter saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Now that word doubt there is a particular Greek word, distadzo, and it means to duplicate. What does he mean duplicate? Why did you duplicate? Why did you have second thoughts about me and about coming to me and about doing my will? Why did you have second thoughts about my ability to tell you that you can walk on water? I chose you, I called you, and I was the one who was enabling you. Why are you having second thoughts about the moment and the miracle that you are in? I've got this. Verse 32, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped Jesus saying, truly you are the son of God. Wow. You know, I've stood on that shoreline so many times and looked out into the Sea of Galilee. In fact, I've even gotten in boats and gone out there, uh, boats that were representative of the boats that, that were in that day, the fishing boats. And I've, I've gone across that point and went right out, just wondering, meditating, reading, you know, just trying to, trying to understand what were those disciples experiencing? What was going on in, 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 in Peter's mind? What were going on in the other disciples' mind? You know, I, I'm certain that when they all got back into the boat, when, 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 when the wind ceased and Peter and Jesus got back into the boat, that Peter was all wet. And, you know, as happens sometimes when people get all wet trying something for Jesus, other people can be pointing at them and saying, look at him, look at him, he's all wet. But I don't think Peter was saying, I'm wet. I think Peter was saying, I walked on water you see he walked on water to go to Jesus and he walked on water coming back he just needed a little help right in the middle of his storm he was doing okay at the beginning and he was doing okay at the end but it's right in the middle of the storm when sometimes because of tiredness, sometimes because of the wind and the waves, and some, sometimes, you know, just because of a little distraction, in the middle of our storm, we lose sight of the one who called us, of the one who told us to go this way, to do this. Peter just needed a little help. But don't you know Jesus was right there? He lifted him up. <laughs> That's right. He'll do the same for us. 
There are a few things I've learned meditating on this passage through the years, and I think these truths will not only help us in these difficult moments, but will also help people who are watching us and people who are listening to us. You know, the prisoners are listening. The whole world is watching. The world is listening. Don't lose it in the middle of your storm. You can cry out to Jesus. The first thing that I have learned from this particular passage and these accounts in Matthew 14 is that God is good. God is so good. He plans ahead for us. You know, we will never catch God unprepared for anything. God thinks ahead. God has never been caught unprepared, and he's not unprepared for what's going on in our lives today. And you can tell other people, God is good, and God has a plan. He's not unprepared. He can do this. The second thing I have learned from meditating on these scriptures is that Jesus saves. Number one, God is good. And number two, Jesus saves. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand. You see, Jesus, knowing beforehand what Peter would need, positioned himself in just the right place. When Peter called out, Lord, save me, guess what? Jesus was right there and reached out his hand. He was close enough, close enough to just pull him up, back up on the solid water, as it were. <laughs> back up. On solid ground. Jesus is close enough to you today and Jesus still saves. If you're having difficulty, if you're in that sinking moment, if you feel like that you've done all you can do, listen, cry out to Jesus. God is good and Jesus saves. And the third thing that I'll leave with you this morning is the fact that faith works. God is good. Jesus saves and faith works. Today, your faith will work. Today, the word of God is no different than it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the same today as he was yesterday and he will be forever. Faith works. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your trust in in him, even in the midst of uncertain circumstances, even in the midst of a storm, when you're tired and when you're the only one out there, when you've taken a risk, Jesus is right there. Your faith will work. Trust the Lord. He's good and Jesus saves. Call out to him. Today, I'm going to seal this word in your heart. I'm going to pray for you. And God is going to, as it were, fix this word in your heart. He'll establish this word in your heart. Are you ready to pray? Let's seal this word in our heart today. Father, today, Lord, we receive your word, God. We receive it, Father, Lord, as you intended. We don't want to sound like a broken record, Lord. We want to have faith, Lord, even in the midst of our storm. God, we know that, Lord, sometimes you ask us to do something that may seem a little hard, Lord, or it may be a stretch, God. Uh, but, Lord, you're with us every step of the way. You never leave us. You never fail us. You never forsake us. You're always right there. We know, God, and we declare to ourselves that you are good. 
Lord, we declare that you save. And God, we also know that faith works. Jesus, you gave us the example. You went to prayer and then you performed miracles. Sir, may we also be conscious of the need that we should stay prayed up, always praying. God, seal that in our heart, that we pray and that we say yes to you. Father, bless this congregation, every heart, every home. Heal them, God. Lord, fill them with your goodness and your grace and join us back together as soon, Lord, as we can. In the name of Jesus.